Welcome to this Knowledge on the Nordics podcast produced by Nordics Info, a research dissemination project based at Aarhus University in Denmark. This podcast series is called Nordics Info Spoken. This podcast is about the disability policies and movements in the Nordic countries since 1945. It was written by Anna Dirksen and is read by Nicola Whitcomb. But first, a word on disability terminology. The vocabulary we use to talk about people with disabilities is a sensitive issue that reveals a lot about contemporary perspectives on disability and even national and regional variations. Terms that we today perceive as highly degrading and stigmatising were in the 19th and early 20th centuries widely accepted categories to distinguish between different impairments and their respective treatments in medicine and social welfare. While English-speaking countries prefer the umbrella term disability and regard handicap as outdated and derogatory, the latter is still widely used in, for example, Denmark, as a term that encompasses both physical or mental impairments and related social factors. There's an additional comment on language at the end of the podcast. Over the past century, the situation of people with disabilities in the Nordic countries has changed profoundly, not least thanks to the efforts of disability rights movements that have emerged since the post-war period. Disability associations had already existed since the early 19th century, but the care of their members was largely the responsibility of families, municipal poor relief and charities. These were complemented with special institutions like the Manila School for the Deaf-Mute and Blind in Sweden, Denmark's first institution for mentally and intellectually disabled children, Gamla Bagerhusel, and the Christiania Blind Institute in Oslo. These were respectively founded in 1817, 1855 and 1861. Together, these organisations created and perpetuated a system of disability care that segregated people with disabilities from the majority population and distinguished between different needs or disabilities until well into the 20th century. This began to change in the 1940s and 50s as modern welfare policies were implemented and people with disabilities became part of public social security. However, the traditional system of state-run institutions was maintained and further expanded, creating an ever-widening gap between disabled people and the general population. In addition to their geographical isolation, special institutions for people with physical and sensory disabilities frequently lacked suitable teaching material or room for leisure activities, and training in outdated crafts like basket weaving offered hardly any work opportunities. People with intellectual disabilities were furthermore subjected to eugenic ideas, often resulting in their lifelong institutionalization and medical interventions such as sterilization, legally practiced until well into the 1970s. This understanding of disability as primarily a medical problem was also evident in the regulation of disability pensions, which were usually tied to medical and care services and did little to stimulate qualified training, regular employment or participation in community life. 
In the 1950s and 60s, the institutions and care of persons with intellectual disabilities started to be questioned. One of the first groups that objected to the often dire conditions in special institutions were parent associations. Advocating on behalf of their intellectually disabled children, their demands included smaller housing units and more personalised care, leisure and education provision. Even though the influence of parent associations differed across the Nordic countries, over time they succeeded in establishing lasting networks, increased the pressure for political and administrative reforms and brought the issue into public awareness. Examples of parent associations include, current names given here, the Danish Society for the Welfare of the Intellectually Disabled, the Finnish Association on Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities, the Swedish Association for Children, Youths and Adults with Developmental Disorders, the Benefit Society for the Mentally Disabled in Iceland. All of these organisations were founded in the 1950s. In the mid-1960s, Norwegian journalist and filmmaker Arne Skuen, father of an autistic daughter, co-founded the advocacy group Justice for the Handicapped and the Norwegian Association for the Mentally Disabled. The 1950s and 60s also saw important legislative changes. A start was made in 1959 when Niels-Erik Bank Mikkelsen from the so-called Danish Service for the Mentally Retarded drafted the Mental Retardation Act, in which he called for the right of people with disabilities to have living conditions and daily routines as normal as possible. Niels Erik Bang Mikkelsen was born in 1919 and was a Danish policy reformer and advocate for the rights of persons with intellectual disabilities. He is known as the father of the normalisation principle for his role in bringing more normality to the lives of people with disabilities in Denmark at this time, and he arguably had an influence further afield in the Nordics as well as around the world. You can read more about him in Anna Derskens biography of him on Nordics Info. Smaller group accommodation, education and vocational training were introduced as well as leisure activities and psychological counselling services, and in 1967, Sweden and Norway adopted similar laws. It should be noted, however, that these were primarily administrative reforms as a comprehensive decentralisation and closure of state institutions did not take place until years later. A curious exception to the normalisation of disability care in the Nordics was Finland, whose 1958 Rehabilitation Act stipulated that accommodation in mass institutions was a central pillar of disability welfare until it was repealed in 1977. This stood in stark contrast to Finland's earlier pioneering role in removing voting restrictions for persons with intellectual disabilities as early as 1972. In Sweden, such restrictions were abolished in 1989. In the other Nordic countries, discussions about the implementation of full voting rights for people under legal guardianship are still ongoing. The role of investigative media was also important at this time. Yet another element of change was critical media coverage. 
1959 a radio report by Swedish journalist Liz Asklund about Eugenia Jimmel, a Stockholm-based institution for young people with physical disabilities, revealed a strict regime of discipline and punishments even for minor misdeeds. The report sparked a debate about what many Swedes felt was a gross violation of core societal values and institutions for the disabled, as well as the people working there, became exposed to a critical public with little tolerance for such conditions. A similar scandal was uncovered by a Norwegian newspaper in 1974. The so-called investigation reported coercive measures and abuse in the Central Institution for the Mentally Retarded in Kleibu near Trondheim. After an inquiry commission had confirmed serious irregularities, the Norwegian government introduced legislative rights for the residents of special institutions and improved their control mechanisms. In the 1960s and 1970s, the voices of disabled activists became louder and made a difference. Disability rights activists in the Nordics, but also internationally, came together in what can be considered a new social movement. Using disability as a marker for persistent shortcomings in the Nordic welfare societies, people with different disabilities, such as visual, hearing or mobility impairment, consolidated their demands for reforms under a cross-disability umbrella. Within these discussions, a new understanding of disability emerged as a human rights issue, shaped by social, political and environmental factors, and thus in opposition to the existing medical paradigm. A prime example is the Swedish group Anti-Handicap. Activist William Ekenstein's book In the Backyard of the People's Home from 1968 and the Swedish group Anti-Handicap demanded the breakdown of societal and attitudinal barriers by adapting the existing welfare system to the needs of all citizens, a society for all. In 1972, this idea was pursued further in the Swedish Disability Organization's political programme of the same name, and four years later also in the governmental report Culture for All. Similar notions of disability also resonated in the other Nordic countries, for example the Finnish self-advocacy association Threshold, founded by disabled university students in 1973. The public visibility of disability should also be mentioned, which spanned newspaper articles, exhibitions, interviews on the radio and television, protest marches and demonstrations. In 1976, Swedish organisations of the blind and the deaf organised a demonstration in Stockholm that attracted about 8,000 participants. Two years later, a staggering 10,000 to 15,000 demonstrators gathered in Reykjavik for a so-called equality march. Gradually, the activists' demands influenced new legislation that included welfare services, building regulations, technical and medical aid, public transportation and job counselling. Disability representatives also gained a political voice through seats on disability councils and committees. 
1981 was made the International Year of Disabled Persons by the United Nations, adding further momentum to the disability rights movements. The International Year of Disabled Persons slogan was full participation and equality and resonated well with the Nordic approach to disability and hopes were correspondingly high. Across the region as well as internationally, National International Year of Disabled Persons committees with politicians, public officials and representatives of disability organisations organised a range of activities throughout the year. Swedish disability rights organisations continued their cooperation with politicians and authorities with a national disability survey, cultural events and other activities. However, this relationship was strained by threatening austerity measures, culminating in a large demonstration of disability rights activists in Gothenburg with about 9,000 participants. When the Norwegian government hesitated to give disability a prominent political platform and tried to limit the International Year of Disabled Persons to sports and leisure activities, disability organisations sought out new alliances with other civil society organisations and the general public. The committee in Denmark took a more radical turn as a new law on income-dependent disability assistance was seen to threaten disabled people's self-determination. The disagreement concluded with a split between the National Committee, headed by the Minister for Social Affairs, and a very vocal and influential Alternative Committee established by the Association of Disability Organisations. There were also a number of events in Greenland that dealt with the setup of local disability care. In Finland, the year was dominated by the Veteran Association's focus on care and service provision on the one hand and the more activist approach of the Threshold Association on the other. Four regional disability projects were conducted. Education of Swedish-speaking Finns in Vasa province, social and health services in Oulu province, employment and housing in Kuopio province, and training opportunities in North Karelia province. In Iceland, the impact of the 1978 Equality March still reverberated in early 1981, when politicians, union leaders and disability rights activists organised a well-attended public meeting on equality and labour market integration. They also organised public events and discussions on legal reforms. Although many disability activists afterwards voiced their disappointment that not more had been achieved, the year also yielded positive results. Firstly, national action plans and policy guidelines ensured a continued discussion of the topic and its legal implementation. Secondly, self-advocacy organisations gained visibility and generated public interest in their concerns. And thirdly, disability was increasingly seen as a human rights concern that demanded attention and alliances across social, ideological and administrative borders. The picture used for this podcast shows different interpretations of disability on a variety of stamps issued by the Nordic countries during the International Year of Disabled Persons in 1981. The rest of the 1980s saw a number of legal reforms that further defined the rights of people with disabilities. 
special institutions and public welfare services were devolved, while care services became more individualised. A landmark reform in this regard was the Swedish Act concerning support and service for persons with certain functional impairments in 1994, which introduced a personal budget for severely disabled people and personal assistance for daily activities, housing and work. And this has since inspired many other countries to implement similar laws. Other important innovations were the implementation of anti-discrimination laws in the 1990s and the ratification of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities since 2006. Today, the Nordic disability movements are somewhat fragmented, but their past efforts have made vital contributions to putting the situation of people with disabilities and other marginalised groups on the political agenda. Embedding disability in the public consciousness as a social and human rights issue, both nationally and internationally. Nordic disability organisations are also sharp critics of current challenges, like economic austerity measures and an increasing marketization of disability care. And they continue to play an important role in policy making and social debate, as well as in the monitoring of disability legislation. Before we sum up the podcast, just a further word on terminology. Terminology that referred to people with disabilities as a collective group only emerged in the 1950s. For instance, handicapped and the now obsolete and what is now considered deeply offensive, mentally retarded, which in Swedish is Efterbluon and Danish Onsve or Eonusve. On the world stage, a new World Health Organization classification was introduced in 1980, which differentiated between impairment as a physical or mental limitation disability as a functional limitation in regard to a particular activity, and handicap as a disadvantage in social life. As the Nordic countries had a longer history of acknowledging the social and environmental dimensions of disability, the new WHO classification in 1980 made little difference to their terminology, and this is also still reflected in today's vocabulary in, for example, Denmark. As we said at the beginning of the podcast, While English-speaking countries prefer the umbrella term disability and regard handicap as outdated, handicap is still widely used in Danish as a term that encompasses both physical or mental impairments and related social factors. However, Danes also talk about physisk eller intellektuell udviklingshemning, which could be directly translated as a psychological or intellectual developmental disability. And they make a distinction between funktionsnilsedelse, a reduction in functioning, literally, referring to a psychological or physical reduction in functioning, and handicap, which is a reduction in functioning to do with daily life or taking an active part in society generally. Handicap is not so widely used in, for example, Norway and Sweden, but new words have been created. For instance, the Swedish and Norwegian neologisms, funktionsnedsättning, funktionsnedsättelse, reduction in functions, referring to the individual person, and funktionshinder, funktionshemning, impediment of functions, referring to external factors. 
and words to do with disability continue to develop. For example, functions variation in the Scandinavian languages, or the variation of functioning, which perhaps points to the fact that all people sit on a spectrum of varying abilities. To sum up then, during the last century, the situation of people with disabilities in the Nordic welfare states has changed dramatically. For a long time, disability was regarded as an issue for the national welfare services, which had a marginalising effect from a legal point of view, characterised by medical diagnostics, accommodation in mass institutions and exclusion from education and employment. But following the social and economic transformations after World War II and the ambitious promises of the Nordic welfare model, this absence of rights for disabled people was no longer deemed acceptable. Nordic disability rights activism, consisting of parents, associations, self-advocacy organisations, public and political supporters, reached its peak in the 1970s and early 1980s, when protests and awareness campaigns led to a new social and rights-based understanding of disability, as well as legal reforms. As we said before, today the movement is somewhat fragmented, but maintains an important role in policy-making and monitoring the implementation of disability rights. This podcast was about the disability policies and movements in the Nordic countries since 1945 and was written by Anna Dirksen. If you want to learn more about this topic, we have several additional articles on Nordic's info. If you would like to learn more about the Nordic countries generally, you may like to try other podcasts by Knowledge on the Nordics. This podcast is part of our series Nordic's Info Spoken, and it was recorded in Copenhagen in December 2021, read by me, Nicola Whitcomb. Nordic's Info and Reimagining Norden in an Evolving World are supported by Nordforsk. Thank you for listening.